Crack fans, the NFL action is in full swing at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. They're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins for all you football fans. And now, new customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. Check this out as well. In addition to the usual bets, Everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Maybe you're a fan of a lesser-heralded team. Maybe it's the Detroit Lions. I'm just speaking off the top of my head here. I don't know any Lions fans, but maybe you do, and maybe that hypothetical Lions fan has noticed the fact that Jared Goff seems to hit his passing yards number in every game these Detroit Lions have played thus far. What you're going to do, little same game parlay. You'll take the Detroit Lions as an underdog, as they so frequently seem to be. You'll take whichever of their skill position players. Maybe it's Amon Ross St. Brown, DeAndre Swift, the Jared Goff passing yards total. You're going to parlay them together, and it's going to make things even sweeter. In fact, you can throw down on step up same game parlays once per game day all season long. Here's how it works. You're going to download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use our promo code AOD to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. Again, that's code AOD only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply if you or someone you know has a gambling problem. Crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER in Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, or Wyoming, 1-800-NEXT-STEP-IN-ARIZONA, or 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado or New Hampshire, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 877-HOPE-NY in New York, OPGR.org in Oregon, call text Tennessee Redline at 1-800-889-9789 or 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia. Welcome to our GSP Ace of the Day segment presented by DraftKings. We are off to exactly the sort of start we aspire to here on this segment this week as our day one aces go 2-1-1 up 1.75 units overall. Now, right off the bat, I know what you listeners are thinking. How do you tie on one of your ace of the day picks in the tennis world? There are no ties in professional tennis, and I understand why you look at that record and immediately have doubts. That said, we're voiding one of our aces from yesterday's show. Now, ultimately, that voided pick was a winner in theory, as Diane Perry did ultimately win her first round match in Monastir. However, on our Ace of the Day show, we had her listed as a plus 110 money line underdog taking on Lacia Serenko. Serenko ultimately pulls out of Monastir prior to the start of that first round match, as such is replaced in the draw by a lucky loser in Harmony Tan. And while I would have loved for Perry to have retained that plus 110 money line, simply put, that's not what happened. And Perry becomes a favorite ultimately in that matchup with Harmony Tan. And simply put, this close to Yom Kippur, it just feels unkosher to describe that Perry victory as a victory in our book. So we're ultimately just going to void that pick. But again, 2-1-1. One 
and I like up 1.75 units overall. I did like our thought process. Didn't love that sentence. I just tried to get out of my mouth, so we'll try that again. I really enjoyed our thought process. Looking back on day one's picks, we had two matches we felt particularly confident about. And yes, we, we are all in this game together. I know I'm making the picks, but I speak on behalf of our Crack Rackets community here on this show. But we felt pretty confident about our two Biggest selections of the day dropped 1.4 units on Katie McNally. McNally cruising to a straight set victory over Blinkova. And then our guy Camille Mychek made things complicated at the beginning. 7-6 first set against Shima Bakuro, but ultimately pulled away from his opponent in Tokyo. As such, our two biggest wagers of the day yield us one unit in return. Now, we did fall short on a money line parlay, and perhaps that's a note for us moving forward this week. Maybe try to veer away from the parlay, stick to the single match wagers. That said, felt pretty confident that Karen Hatchinov, with how simple the game plan was going to be, was going to knock off Max Cressy. He did exactly that. Was definitely apprehensive when it came to lucky loser Pavel Kotov taking on Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, and turns out that apprehension comes from a strong foundation, a strong place, I suppose. It was justified. It was merited, was the word I was looking for as the lucky loser Kotov not only knocks off Davidovich Fokina, but managed to do it in straight sets as well. Now, that said, we protected ourselves, wagering only a quarter of a unit on that money line parlay. And with that thought in mind, that brings us to today's show, another ace of the day segment for all of you listeners. Of course, as always, my plan is to preview each and every match happening over the next 24 hours at the tour level in the pro tennis world. That, of course, means taking a deep dive into our two ATP 500 events happening in both Tokyo and Kazakhstan, breaking down the women's action in Ostrava as well as in Monastir. But Of course, that also means offering you more aces of the day, more picks to put a little bit of money in all of our pockets here. And again, why do I say keep that quarter of a unit wager from yesterday in mind? Well, as I look at the next 24 hours in the professional tennis world, I think the move is going to be a sprinkle, not a pour. And what do I mean by that? I'm feeling apprehensive looking at some of tomorrow's matches, looking at the board in Ostrava. Oh my goodness. I think it's the single best draw we've seen at any level here in this 2022 season. Just matchup after matchup loaded with top 50, top 30, in some cases top 20 versus top 20 players going head to head. Of course, we already saw some funkiness at our two ATP events as world number one and number one seed Carlos Alcaraz knocked out in the first round of Kazakhstan. World number two and number one seed in Tokyo, Kasper Ruud knocked out in Tokyo earlier today as well. I'm just, I'm on red alert. I'm again, apprehensive as I look at the next 24 hours in the tennis world. Excited as a fan of the sport, certainly excited to be on the broadcast for many of these matches. And for those of you listeners who haven't already heard, very, very fortunate to be able to be the broadcaster on T2 this week's tennis channel's Samsung specific streaming platform. But that again is why I'm thinking a sprinkle not a poor, because I think we should be a little bit tentative as we look at tomorrow's matches and then maybe get back into things uh, a little bit heavier on our wages, uh, wages, a little bit heavier on our wagers, excuse me, as we look at the back half of the week. But again, my plan for today's show, as always, to run all of you listeners through the next 24 hours of matches. Try to spend 
at least 30 seconds, if not a minute, previewing every match at the tour level happening tomorrow. But of course, I've also got three aces for you, my picks that I feel pretty darn good about. And I think we'll deliver us some victories here on Tuesday or Wednesday, depending on where you live around the globe. That said, again, three aces of the day for all of you listeners today. So let's get into it. Here are my picks as well as my thoughts on the next 24 hours in the pro tennis world. Let's start with a couple of Spaniards who are doing battle on the outdoor hard courts of Tokyo. Of course, one of your biggest results from Tuesday's action around the globe, the result of 25-year-old Jami Munar, who ultimately earns a straight set victory over world number two and top seed Casper Rude in Tokyo. Munar is not a capital B breakout star of this 2022 season, but the 25-year-old has certainly made a leap forward with his game, with his results this season. You look for Munar, who coming into all of the action here in 2022 was, you know, not only under 500, but significantly under 500 for his career in hardcourt matches at the ATP Tour level. You look for Munar coming into the season was 9-24, and Overall, in his career in those tour level hard court matches, you look for Munar this season. Not a number again that you're going to put on the refrigerator, show off to your parents, but a very respectable 8 and 10 overall this year on the hard courts. And perhaps most pressingly, you know, he's had a lot of success early in events throughout the course of this year. Only a couple of first-round losses on his resume. You look in Cincinnati where he qualified a loss, you know, first round to 14th seed Marin Cilic. I'm not saying that's a good loss, but I don't qualify that as a bad loss either. You look for him, uh, his loss first round at the Australian Open this year, a five-set loss to 18th seeded Aslan Karatsev. Again, not every first-round match, uh, first-round result is built the same way, I think you should take those first round loss uh, from Munar with a grain of salt. Now, you know, certainly there were some disappointing ones for him to lose four sets at the U.S. Open to Roberto Carbea-Spania. You feel like that's a match that he has to win. For him to lose in straight sets in Miami to a fellow qualifier in Taro Daniel. Again, that's a match you probably would like him to win. That said, all right, Two disappointing hardcourt results for Munar this season at the ATP level. That is a significant improvement for the 25-year-old. And again, you look for Munar overall here this season, 18 and 21 at the tour level, 42 and 24 overall. He has been dominant when he's dipped down to the ATP challengers, 15 and 2 for the season, won a couple of titles on the clay courts as well. And in fact, in every challenger he's played this season, he's made at least the quarterfinals. He's played four of them, two titles, a semifinal, a quarterfinal. That's just, again, for Munar, when I say he's taken a leap forward this season, you see that success at the challenger level. He's playing 500 ball on the surface he's least comfortable on at the ATP level. And by the way, for what it's worth, at the ATP level on clay courts this season, a very respectable 9-9, and including a quarterfinal in Stad and, you know, good win over Altmaier before a five-set loss to Schwartzman at Roland Garros. Got to play, you know, the big events qualifying in Monte Carlo. Round of 16 for him in Barcelona as well. 
this was a step forward. No ifs, ands, or buts about it for Munar this season, who you look overall again, breaking serve 29.7% of the time overall. You look for him adjusted for ATP competition specifically. That break percentage has held up. He's broken serve 26.1% of the time, and well, Munar is not a top 50 player, so he doesn't qualify for the Tennis Abstract Stats leaderboard. If you were to apply that break percentage on the stats leaderboard, that 26.1 number would be a top 15 number and 3% above uh, the tour average break percentage, which is, I believe, coming into this week, 23.2%, so a little bit below 3%, but I hope all of you listeners will excuse me for rounding up. The big thing for Munar this season has been the improvement on serve, and you look for him overall holding 79.6% of the time. You look for him in tour-level matches holding 75.3% of the time. Now, the the average of a top 50 player, they're holding serve 82.1% of the time. So he's still beneath the average of a top 50 player. And, you know, his, I don't want to say inability, but his lack of clear ability to win hard fought, or excuse me, to win free points easily with the serve with just a massive plus one ball, maybe that limits his ceiling moving forward. In fact, not maybe, it does limit the 25-year-old ceiling moving forward. But again, for him to hold 75.3% of the time, it's just so, you know, it's so clearly uh, a sign of improvement for him as he was a guy who was floating at 70% or even a little bit beneath that uh, at the ATP level early in his career. Perhaps even more notably, he's holding 85% of the time at the challenger level. And a lot of that comes in clay court challenger action. It just speaks to, you know, again, statistically kind of lays out how evident that improvement has been uh, for Munar here this year. And you know, with that in mind, I think he's got a very winnable match tomorrow as he takes on a fellow Spaniard in Pedro Martinez Portero. Now, Martinez, a fellow 25-year-old, and you look, you know, for Munar, born May 1997, Martinez born in the final week of April 1997. These two are, I'm doing some quick math in my head, thir- born 13 days apart from the same country, have both worked their way up the Challenger Tour uh, at various points throughout their career. These are two guys who are going to know each other's games extraordinarily well. And for what it's worth, they've played twice already in their career. Pedro Martinez 2-0 against Munar when they've gone head-to-head. That's a lie. He's 3-1 and against Munar when he's gone head-to-head. That said, uh, all four of their prior matchups have come on clay courts. They actually played in Santiago earlier this season. Martinez, a 6-4-5-7-7-5 victory, sort of stressing, I suppose, how close these matches between these two players can be. That said, while it's been a clear-cut step forward for Munar, I think things have sort of stagnated here for Pedro Martinez Portero. You look for Martinez, who came into this week's action having lost eight consecutive matches, uh, all but one of them coming at the tour level. He lost quarterfinals Kit Spuel on the clay to Albert Ramos, then loses first-round Canada, three sets guy Elmo Fies. First-round quality Cincinnati uh, to talented former top junior in the world, Sung Chin Sin. Uh, First-round Winston-Salem, Stevie Johnson. First-round U.S. Open, Chris Eubanks. First-round Sevilla challenger, Kimmer Copenhans. First-round San Diego, Daniel Galan. First-round in Seoul to Mackie McDonald. Earned a much-needed first-round victory over Alexi Popperin to kick off his Tokyo campaign. You look for Martinez, who entered the week ranked 68 in the world. Uh, Martinez overall here this season. Season. You look for him 
uh, from the overall record perspective, 20 and 26 overall on the year. You look for him at the ATP level, 19 and 23, but on hard court, 6 and 9 overall on the year. And again, coming into the weekend, lost six consecutive hard court matches. With all due respect, I just think Munar's playing a bit better than Martinez right now. I don't think there's any distinguishable matchup advantages, I suppose, between either of them. You look for Munar here this season, his 76% hold percentage, while certainly disappointing if you're, uh, or certainly below average, again, for Munar. It's better than Martinez's. I mean, you look for Pedro Martinez, who's holding 74.2% of the time, 73% when on a quicker surface like a hard court. Uh, That's an issue for Martinez. The fact that, again, statistically, you would lean towards Munar as well. You look at the break percentage for Martinez. Again, he's at 22.5%, which is pretty good, uh, but still below the average of a top 50 player and about 3% below where Munar is at right now. The numbers say it. The eye test says it. The familiarity with each of their games say it. You know, who's in better form right now? I think it's Munar. I don't think there's a distinct, you know, a a clear-cut matchup advantage. I think I, I trust the Munar serve a little bit more. Munar's got all of this momentum after knocking off Kasparud in round one. And I know some of you are thinking, well, isn't this where he falls short? Isn't this where perhaps you get that signature victory overall world number two? And then there's that hangover the next day, especially playing a fellow countryman who, again, is, what, 13 days your senior? I'm not buying that. I'm not buying that intangible quality. I think if we've learned anything about Munar, it's that his floor, match in, match out, is just extraordinarily high. And I think that floor right now is just better than Pedro Martinez. So give me Munar to advance in this match. Now you look, according to our friends at DraftKings, not the most valuable money line. Munar's actually moved, I like this, from minus 200 to minus 220 in this match, we can get him at minus two and a half games for minus 135. That feels like a layup. I know minus 135 is a little bit, you know, that's a lot of juice. And that's why we're not we're not worried about that value. We're just, again, we're sprinkling, not pouring. So we're going a quarter of a unit with all of our wagers here today. But give me Moonar minus two and a half games. If he wins the match, even if it's not in straight sets, he should still cover a number that small. And I think he's going to win this match in straight sets. And I Definitely don't think that match is going to be 7-6-7-6 with how each of these guys struggle on serve. So give me Munar, minus two and a half games over Martinez, minus 135, quarter of a unit to win .18 in return for what it's worth according to the Tennis Abstract singles forecast, Munar, a 63.4% favorite over Martinez. So I feel pretty good about the odds there, pretty good about the value. I think I've talked myself into being more confident in this pick than I was prior to recording the show. But give me Munar, minus two and a half games over Martinez, minus 135, quarter of a unit again to win 0.18 in return. With that said, let's move on to ace of the day number two, and this theme persists. We're sprinkling, not pouring. I've got two more quarter unit wagers for all of you listeners today, two more aces of the day, I should say, for today's show. Let's move next to a couple of lopsided favorites, and honestly, I feel pretty confident that each of these next two players are going to ultimately win their matches over the next 24 hours. It's the game spread that has has me feeling hesitant. I have two minus four and a half game spread favorites as my next two picks for our aces of the day. Let's start with a guy I'm honestly most confident in, and that's Roberto Bautista Agut. 
RBA coming off of a straight set impressive victory over Felix Ogier Aliasim in Nur Sultan. He's minus four and a half game favorite tomorrow as he takes on the lucky loser Pavel Kotov. Kotov extraordinarily impressive today as he knocks out Alejandro Davidovich Fokina in straight sets. It's always fascinating how that happens, right? You go from not getting into the draw through qualities to getting, you know, getting that extra chance, that second chance, and so many players seem to make the most of that opportunity. Case in point, go watch Alexander Kovacevic last week, his run in Seoul, South Korea. Now, do I think Kotov is capable of that sort of run this week, to be honest? No, I don't. I think Kotov will be one and done following his victory over Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, and that's because, simply put, Roberto Bautista Agut quietly I don't want to say he's in the midst of a career season because he just hasn't been good enough at the slams this year compared to years past to describe it as that. You look for RBA only reached the second week of one slam this year. That, of course, was the Australian Open to start the season. Didn't play Roland Garros. Second round Wimbledon. First round exit uh, at the U.S. Open to J.J. Wolf. That said, RBA very quietly, very quietly, 35 and 13 overall here this season. Winning 73% of his matches. Yeah, RBA may be 34 years old, but that 75% number, that's a career high for the Spaniard in terms of a win percentage here in a single season. And you look for RBA, what's been the foundation of his success beating who he's supposed to beat. He's 22-5 and against opponents ranked outside the top 50 this season. Yeah, I know. Lost a match to J.J. Wolf at the U.S. Open. I would argue J.J. Wolf is a top 50 player on hard courts. Lost a match to Borna Chorich in Cincinnati. Chorich now a member of the top 50, and I think pretty clearly is a top 50 player on hard courts. You look at one of the other losses came to Dominic Team. And a three sets on a clay court. Clay has never been RBA's best surface. And again, I think we all know how good Dominic Team can be as well. So I'm not removing losses from the occasion, but 22 and 5 against opponents ranked outside the top 50 with three of those losses, I think making an extraordinary amount of sense. You also look from a statistics perspective, RBA is one of just eight male players to rank top 20 in both hold and break percentage this season. He's holding serve uh, second best of his number of his career. 83.8%. That's 3.4 above his career average. He's also breaking serve 29% of the time this year. Again, second, third best, excuse me, number of his career, but 3.3%, excuse me, 2.3%. Good math, Alex, above his career average. The numbers say it. The eye test says it. Go watch his first round match against FAA. He was everywhere hitting his passing shots beautifully. The backhand down the line pass he hit to set up match point in that second set breaker. Probably the shot of the week so far and one of the better shots you will have seen here in this 2022 season. But again, simply put, I know exactly what I'm getting in RBA. I know his floor match in match out. He's going to drive that ball deep into the ad corner. He's going to be so disciplined, almost bait you into prematurely attacking him during the rally. And if you do that and you find yourself attacking from a disadvantage, uh, disadvantageous position, no one is better suited to make you pay than RBA. And with all due respect to Pavel Kotov, the 23, soon to be 24-year-old, has had a career year, currently sitting at a career high ranking, 103, uh, both in the live rankings and the ATP rankings. He's a very respectable 34 and 16 overall this year as well. But two and three in tour-level main draw matches that went over Davidovich Fokina, his second of the season, first on a hard court of his career 
at the ATP level and you look more broadly for him overall on hard, uh, excuse me, not on hard courts, but again at the ATP level. Uh, Pavel Kotov, two and six in his career. You look for him against top 50 opponents overall, regardless of where the match was played. Kotov, one in three, that went over Davidovich Fokina, his first victory over a top 50 opponent in his career. And with all due respect to Kotov, I just don't think he has the weapon to disrupt the rhythm of RBA. And if you can't disrupt what RBA is trying to do, if you're playing at his pace, trying to outgrind him, simply put, especially on these slow courts in Astana, you're just not going to beat him. And he's going to wear you down. It's a little death by a thousand paper cuts when it comes to RBA. And look, again, I know minus four and a half games, that's a lot of games to have to cover here. You know, even in a straight set win, he's got to win better than 6-4, 6-4. There's going to have to be some separation uh, between these two players. That said, RBA has gone to third sets just five times this year against players ranked outside the top 50, four and one in those matches. So again, uh, overall 18 and four, you know, I guess four straight set losses, but 18 wins in straight set fashion over players ranked outside the top 50 this season. And Again, even in those matches where he did go three sets, you look for him against Greek Spoor, uh, ended up covering that match despite losing a set by five games, ended up uh, ultimately covering the J.J. Wolf spread at Indian Wells earlier this season by three games. Um, look, again, I just, I think RBA wears him down here. Four and a half's a lot. I just don't know what the weapon for Kotov is. Give me RBA to cover the minus four and a half games. Sprinkle, not a pour though quarter of a unit to win 0.21 in return. We're playing things conservatively here today as, again, we don't want to just gift away all of our day one earnings. We want to pace ourselves here this week. So we'll take RBA, minus four and a half games over Kotov, minus 115, quarter of a unit to win 0.21 in return for what it's worth according to Tennis Abstract, RBA 76.9% favor to capture tomorrow's match. The other player we're taking, another clear-cut favorite via an 87.5% number According to the Tennis Abstract Singles Forecast, now, according to our friends at DraftKings, this player is a minus 500 favorite against his opponent tomorrow. And by the way, RBA minus 425 against Kotov. That's just too much juice to lay. I would love to take the money line. Love to perhaps throw him in a parlay as well. Instead, we're just going to take the game spread here. We're also going to take the game spread of Andre Rublev. It's hefty. Another minus four and a half game spread as he takes on the qualifier, Zheng Ji Zhen. You look for uh, the Chinese player looking to become the first Chinese man, I believe, to enter the top 100 of the ATP rankings and earned a very impressive three-set victory uh, over Stan Wawrinka. Uh, excuse me, over Aslan Karatsev in round number one of this event, 4-6-6-4-6-1. But, again, Andre Rublev is a completely different monster than Aslan Karatsev. And with all due respect to the soon-to-be 26-year-old from China, who's had a very good year, 45-22 and 22 overall this season. You look for him at the challenger level, has made four different challenger finals, has won a challenger title uh, back at the start of August as well. That said, you look for him at the ATP level, you know, 3-1. and one. If you include Davis Cup, you look for him in his career uh, against top 50 opponents. Uh, excuse me, in his yeah career against top 50 opponents, three and four overall on the season wins over Karatsev, Edmund, and Loren uh, and Lorenzi uh, overall. But you know, again, three and four against top 50 opponents. You look for him in terms of facing off against the top 10. 0 and one. He played team in Beijing back in 2019. 
you know, again, what does uh, you look for Jung Ji Jen? What is the thing he does extraordinarily well? What is the thing he does to disrupt the rhythm of his opponents? I think he's a pretty big server, no doubt about that. But more than anything else, yeah, the guy plays big, goes for his shots, tries to play with plus one aggression, tries to dictate on his terms. And with all due respect to the soon-to-be 26-year-old, a fellow member of October's very own, always love a good October birthday, uh, I just think Andre Rublev is quite literally better at everything. You know, every little detail. And it's not these massive margins. I don't think he's 20% better at everything, but I think he's 5 to 10% better at just about everything they're doing out on court. Of course, Rublev, a fellow October birthday, so not going to feel bad wagering against one member of October since I'm betting on another. And, you know, shout out to Botik van de Sinschkulp. It's just unfortunately burnt into my brain that he turns 27 today, a couple days older than me. Give him a shout out. If he was on the board, I'd be wagering him for sure. Uh, that said, you know, you look for Rublev overall this season, just, you know, quietly a rock solid year, very much in contention for the year end finals, even though it hasn't been glamorous, 41 and 15. He's winning 73 percent of his matches this season five and one against opponents ranked outside the top 100 but that one loss of course was to Nick Kyrgios back in Miami and perhaps more pressingly 26 and three against opponents ranked outside the top 50 if you don't have an elite weapon to hurt Andre Rublev with his serve his forehand they're just going to crush you because 95 percent of players don't have those sort of weapons and unless you're accustomed to seeing that ball day in day out match in match out you're in trouble when it comes to facing Andre Rublev. And so with all due respect, I just don't think whether it be a slice or whether it be an overwhelming serve, an overwhelming plus one ball, I just don't think the 25-year-old from China has the weapons to overwhelm Andre Rublev with. So give me Rublev to cover as well. Again, it's a, it's a hefty money line, minus 500. That said, you can get him minus four and a half games, which is a big number, but we can get him at minus 115. Let's lock that in, quarter of a unit to win 0.21 in return as well. Those, my friends, are your three aces of the day, of course. Yes, those are my picks. Those are not the only matchups I will be watching throughout the course of the next 24 hours. So much good tennis happening across the board. And perhaps some of you are wondering, Alex, you haven't mentioned a single women's match yet on today's show. Well, simply put, folks, that's because tomorrow's women's action is just too tightly contested for me to feel confident in wagering on any of the action. I mean, if you look at the board tomorrow and what we've got available in particular in Ostrava, yeah, just kick your feet up as a tennis fan and take the time to enjoy the next 24 hours on the WTA Tour. Tomorrow's matches are out of control. In Ostrava, you've got Shelby Rogers, who, of course, indoor hardcourt, her serve, her first forehand. You feel like you like her as a wild card on just about any hardcourt event. She's plus 160 tomorrow as she takes on last week's champ, Barbara Krachikova. Now, Krachikova, three days removed from winning a title. Where the, Will there be that hangover? Excuse me. How will her legs feel? Certainly, you feel like you need fresh legs taking on a power hitter like Shelby Rogers. That said... Did you watch Krachikova last week? The straight set win she earned over the Tomjanoviches of the world, over, you know, just about everyone she faced. You know, Annette Conteve in the final. Krachikova looked very much like her early 2022, perhaps more importantly, her 2021 single self. So I would lean Krachikova, who's minus 200 tomorrow. I have her as one of my players I would throw into a parlay if I felt more confident. But 
that's a stay away for me. Just coming off of the title last week and given the power Tennis Rogers is capable of playing. That said, again, Mukova versus Haddad Maya essentially evens odds on DraftKings. You look, uh, according to the Tennis Abstract singles forecast, Mukova still a 51.6% favorite despite all of the success Haddad Maya has had this season. I like the weapons of Mukova better, particularly on an indoor hard court, but the physicality of Beatrice Haddad Maya, who you know, again, has a plan A, hitting the serve, hitting the big plus one ball, but B, C, and D, they're all there as well. That's a stay away for me. Kvitova looked pretty solid in her first round three set victory, but now going to take on Paula Bedosa, who's looking for any sort of momentum she can build to end here uh, this 2022 season. And then you get the return of world number one, Iga Sviantek, who doesn't do much losing here in 2022. Number one in just about every statistical category, minus 600 favorite she is tomorrow, taking on Isla Tomjanovic, who again, not a breakout player in 2022, but has certainly taken a step forward, a couple of major quarterfinals, solidifying her spot inside the top 40. She's floated around her career high all year long. I mean, those matches in Ostravar are incredible. Again, if you're asking me for picks, <sighs> Shelby, I take the over in all of these matches and feel pretty good riding it out. Shelby in three. <sighs> I'm not picking Mukova Haddad Maya. I just have no idea how that match is going to go. Sviantek's better at, than everything at Tomjanovic, but hasn't played a lot of indoor hardcore tennis in a while. That said, I'm not picking against Iga. <sighs> Bedos is the one that I think could pull off the upset tomorrow against Kvitova. I just I wasn't sold with how Kvitova played in her first round match. That said, I haven't been sold with how Bedosa played really since the end of last season. So lock in, folks. The action in Ostrava going to be outstanding. For what it's worth, Bedosa, Kvitova, one-to-one career head-to-head. Svantec Tuno against Tom Janovic. First career matchup between Rogers and Krachikova. First career matchup between Mukova and Haddad Maya. That said, you look at the action in Monastir, Tunisia tomorrow. I know it's a 250 event. Don't confuse it for the undercard. Claire Liu, who's solidified herself as a top 100 player this season, she's taking on Katarina Sinyakova. Sinyakova winning a singles title just a few weeks ago. And how about the duo of Sinyakova-Krachikova? They complete the career Grand Slam and doubles at the U.S. Open. Sinyakova wins a singles title the first week after. Krachikova wins a singles title the next week. Now we're talking, folks. Doubles translating into singles success. You file that under things you love to see. You guys know I'm very high on Diane Perry. Picked her yesterday. She's a favorite tomorrow against Stefanini, the 24-year-old Italian Stefanini. Two hands off both wings, but doesn't have an overwhelming weapon to pressure the Diane Perry backhand with. And if you don't have that overwhelming weapon, I'm taking Perry right now. She has just been too solid off both wings, too solid physically. Love her ability to attack behind her serve and forehand. Uh, She's minus 170 tomorrow. And according to the Tennis Abstract singles forecast, Diane Perry also favored by 59.9%. You've also got all these Cornet, minus 320 against Harriet Dart. I take the over in that match. I think it's to be closer than the score line, uh, than the money line projects. And Merton should cruise as she takes on Papa Mikhail, who earned a massive three-set victory in round one, but Merton's dropped, what, two? three total games in her first round victory. Look for a big Mertens week in Monastir. That said, that is your WTA action on the men's side. Tokyo's going to be really fun as you've got not only the Munar Martinez match, but uh, certainly James Duckworth going to provide the returning opponent to Taylor Fritz, who's coming off of COVID uh, at 
which he caught at the Laver Cup. We'll see how healthy Fritz is as he tries to make a push to the year-end finals. Denis Shapovalov up from minus 400 to minus 450 now, taking on Stevie Johnson. I mean, from a matchup perspective, lefty into that Johnson backhand. Shapo's got all the recipe to cruise. Of course, Shapo coming off of a final last week. We'll see if there's any hangover. Speaking of last week, last week's champion Yoshihito Nishioka competing in his home country of Japan. He's minus 130 against the higher-ranked Miyamir Kasmenovich. If I was going to bet against Yoshi in this match, I mean, if I was feeling more adventurous, I would bet Kasmenovich in this match because it just was such a physical week last week for Nishioka. Not saying there's guaranteed to be a hangover, but I test-wise, Kasmenovich has been the better player this year. That's a stay away or an over two and a half sets. Ditto with McDonald versus Kwon Sun Wu. McDonald plus 110 money line. I may sprinkle on that. Not poor. Sprinkle uh, if I were to make a wager, but... Take the overs when you're looking at Tokyo tomorrow. I think it's a fun day to take the overs across the board. And then, of course, you've got the Nur Sultan action, which not only features the aforementioned RBA Kotov Rublev Jong matches, but two big hitters, Chilich, Ota. Feel like that's a vomit zone match. Chilich minus 320, but if Ota serves well, who knows what happens? Rusavori minus 225 as he takes on a champion from last week. Big servant lefty Mark Andre Husler. Take the over in that match. That's a stay away for me. Go fan Manorino, stay away. No thank you. Garin Djokovic, you're not going to get any value there. Same with Tsitsipas and Nardi. I mean, that said, Djokovic, Tsitsipas, Rublev, all in play on the men's side. The ridiculous quality of those Ostrova matches. Lock in, folks. It's going to be a very fun next 24 hours in the tennis world. And, of course, we will recap all that action uh, tomorrow on our mini break podcast feed, which you can find every day on our website, crackrackets.com, as well as wherever you listen to your podcasts. Of course, a shout out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. Shout out, as well, to our friends at Tennis Point. Remember, excuse me, at DraftKings for their support. We've long wanted to do these daily podcasts, and because of the support we get from our friends at DraftKings, we are now able to do so. Shout out to our friends at Tennis Point as well always. But uh, again, massive thank you to DraftKings for their support here on the GSP. With that said, one last time, your aces of the day. Give me Munar, minus two and a half games over Martinez, minus 135 quarter unit to win 0.8. RBA, minus four and a half games over Kotov, minus 115 quarter unit to win 0.21. And then Rublev, minus four and a half games over Jung, minus 115 corner unit to win 0.21. With that said, for our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at DraftKings, and for all of us here at both Craig Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. May the odds be ever in your favor. Good luck, everyone. 